0: you to to walk us through to hold us in your hands and so we just ask that uh, you would give jackie the words to speak and i pray father that you would give us the ears to hear in jesus name amen have your Bibles with you. I invite you to open up Psalm 103. We're going to look at a Psalm of David. This particular Psalm of David, Psalm 103, is written from his uh, old age. It's kind um, kind of a fun study to go work your way through the Psalms and look at David's early Psalms like when he was young, Psalm 23, to David's Psalms when he was older, Psalm 103. And you and just see not that there's a a difference in in david 's um, resting in god 's deliverance and his being with him, uh, but just to see how what things he finds um, vital I think to to his old days his as old timers you know we start to look on on different aspects of the Lord. Uh, become more important to us. And I think we'll see that as we take a look at Psalm 103. So as we begin, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. So immediately he's calling out for this desire to praise God. And it's not something new that we've seen, that we haven't seen from David before. And what he's looking for, it's kind of interesting how he puts it together, especially in this psalm, the way it begins is also the way that it's going to end. But he's, he is laying out for us that idea. Look, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. So some people bless the Lord with their with their lips, with their tongue, with their voice. But he's saying, I'm going to bless the Lord with my soul. Everything inside of me, everything that I am, I want to use that to be able to, to bless the Lord, to pull all of those things out. So, bless the Lord, all that is within me. Every part of... Uh, of us is able to praise God not it's not just the words we say it's also the things we do uh, it's also you know most of us have a job we got a, a profession that we live in is it possible to praise the Lord through our profession what about our, our families what about the relationships between husbands and wives or fathers and children or, or mothers and children or, or grandfathers and grandchildren there's Always, all kinds of areas within our life where we can express uh, our love for the Lord through those relationships. And we can be a voice of instruction to the people that God brings before us and the opportunities uh, that we have for it. It's interesting because <clears throat> for, uh, I think, the last three weeks, I don't think it's been a month yet, uh, Jace has been going out with Bill and a couple other guys. Jonathan I know 's gone once out to Planned Parenthood in Twin on the abortion day on Fridays, <clears throat> and they 'll spend the day down there uh just just talking to folks uh, last week was the the um anniversary for Roe v Wade is that right <clears throat> so there was a ton of people out there, but the cool thing is there 's non stop from the really from the time they they get going until the time they leave, nonstop opportunity to minister. Whether it's a guy pulling up asking what what in the world you're doing there, whether it's a a gal going into Planned Parenthood or somebody else going into the job place uh, next door. There's lots of opportunity to answer questions and to share the the love of Christ with whoever happens to, to come by. And I think that is in line with, very much in line with what the what the the psalmist is declaring. I want to bless the Lord with all of me. Every part of me, wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing, to take those opportunities to bless the Lord. Verse 2, he's going to start working out ways that we can do it (coughs) in particular. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, again, and forget not all His benefits. So he's going to run through a list of his benefits the idea is don't neglect the blessings that we have from god you guys have all heard it right we've sung songs about count your blessings name them one by one right am i the only guy who knows that song yeah that's, that's probably what it is but the idea of rehearsing um the things that we have with the lord and 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 the psalmist all of them were really good about being able to share those things with you, about being able to say, okay, here are the, the blessings. Don't neglect them. Don't forget about the things that God has done for you. Don't forget what we have in, in Christ, what we have in our relationship with the Lord. So look how he begins uh, in verse 3. Verse 1, Who forgives all your iniquity. So there's a lot of important words in that phrase. Forgives an important word, but the one after forgive is important too. What's that one? <laughs> not most, not some. So, we have a relationship with Almighty God. If you have a relationship with Almighty God, then you're forgiven. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then how many of your sins are covered? All of them, right? Is there a sin that Jesus didn't pay the price for on the cross? No, there's not. There's not. There's, it's... It's covered. So He forgives all your iniquity. But there is an important part of that process that falls to us. He forgives all our iniquities, but there is the concept of repentance on our part. God doesn't forgive before we repent. God doesn't forgive before we reach that point or that place or that moment when we turn away from our sin. Forgiveness is always available. But while we're running in it, while we're while we're bathing in it, while we're playing on the pile of sin in our life, there's that's there's no forgiveness. But that moment that we turn to him and we and we say, "Lord, forgive me." It's forgiven. And it's one of the things the psalmist is really pointing to in this chapter that I think was vital for him in his old age. See, when he was young, he didn't have this, this big failure in his life looming at him, right? When he writes the 23rd Psalm as a young teenage boy taking care of the sheep, I'm sure he thought, I'm never gonna, I'll never cheat on my wife. I'm sure he thought, I'm never going to have moral failure. <clears throat> I'm taking care of the sheep. Nobody cares about me anyway. It's going to be easy to walk with the Lord. Then he becomes king. Then he meets that girl, right? Everybody knows her name, Bathsheba. And then the the one thing that he's most famous for. So when David in his old age looks toward the forgiveness of sins, it's very important to him that God forgave his failure. That he forgives all our iniquity. That he forgives the sin. We turn to Christ. And that action, the, the, the verb being used there, is a present and continual. So it means he once He begins forgiving, He continues to forgive. He continues to forgive. He continues to bless. And we want to we wanna remember, okay? We want to bless the Lord and remember His benefits. Remember the things God does with us. Number one, He forgives all our iniquity. And ultimately, in verse three, he's curing our condition what's our condition what's mankind's condition yeah what's our biggest problem what's the biggest problem in our in our country sin what's our biggest problem wherever we go sin it's all about sin, and what's going on uh, uh, in our world can all be drawn back to that one place. so when we think about that, when we realize that that's what's going on, and those are the things. That are taking place, we can know that God is able to cure our condition. That's what He does with the forgiveness of sin. He, he purges us from that. But He moves on in that second phrase of verse 3 to say, Who heals all your diseases? He heals all your diseases? How's that work? What a psalmist is declaring, He heals them all. <coughs> he heals them all. It's funny because. For the most part, you and I, we only think about healing and how it relates to us here. And we seldom think about healing and how it relates to us and our relationship with God. For a lot of us, this life here is the most important part. So if we look to God for healing, then we want it here. We forget the fact that God taking us from here into His presence is a whole other kind of healing. In fact, a much better one, if you want to be honest about what's going on, to pass from this life into eternity with Jesus Christ, that is uh, the greatest healing of all. The Bible says this corruptible body will put on incorruption. This broken down, fallen apart body gets traded in. And there's a new body that Christ has for us. There's a a, a new relationship. And so when the Bible says <clears throat> he heals them all, none of us will go into eternity with the same problems and failures and struggles and issues that we have today. None of us will have the same. Part of the forgiveness of sin and the cleansing of, of our human nature is going to be letting all that stuff go. What brings disease into our life? What brings sickness into The fall, right? And what caused the fall? It goes back to sin. Sin caused the fall, and from the fall comes all this pain and suffering and sorrow and and heartache. And so, when we find ourselves face to face with God, that's all gone. You're not going to be in heaven one day and have a bad day. You're not going to come home to to your your, uh, mansion and walk through the door and say, man, I had a rough day today. Oh, you're not going to have those things. Because all of that stuff has been, has, has been passed. It passes off. It's gone. And that concept, who heals all your diseases, flows right into verse 4. Look at it. Who redeems your life from destruction. That word redeem, literally it means he purchased, he, he saves, he takes you from destruction... And ultimately, He's going to pass you to eternity. So He redeems your life. He's going to remove from your life all the concepts of guilt and the power of sin in your life. That's all gone. All of that is over. You've been redeemed. You've been redeemed. You're no longer your own. You belong to Him. Ultimately saved from the concept of eternal death, destruction, and translated or transferred into eternal life. Think about John 3.16, right? Everybody knows John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How long does that last? Oh, interesting how that works, right? So the idea that we move from destruction to life, these, he's saying, look, remember your benefits, the forgiveness of sin, the healing of our diseases, the redemption of our life. Now our life, it's going it's to make sense. It's all going to come together. And then, <clears throat> in the second half of verse 4, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. He crowns us more than forgiveness, more than healing, more than redemption. He crowns us, and we never deserve it. The concept of Him crowning us is gifting us. Giving unto us that which we can't earn, and we don't deserve. He gives us loving kindness. That's the Hebrew word, chesed. Chesed, it's uh, the loving kindness, tender mercies, closest thing in the Hebrew to to the Greek word agapeo. The idea of, of God's love and tender mercy poured out. Crowns us. That's that's a gift from God placed on our heads as, uh, as a part of what God loves. And that flows right into verse 5. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. A long time in life we can run around without satisfaction. It's like... Uh, eating ash, we're constantly looking for that perfect meal, never quite finding it. That's life. It's like that. But when we when we come to, to the Lord, when we come to the relationship with God, He says, look, I'm going I'm to fill your soul with good. I'm going to fill you up with good. Who satisfies your mouth <clears throat> with good things. Who fills us so that we can... So that we can find that place, that place of peace that God wants us to walk in and to be in. It's a (coughs) singular condition, satisfaction. A singular condition, which also has a singular provision. The good result, He makes us new. Think about it, when we talk about what Scripture lays out for us. When we come to life with Christ, what happens? We pass from the old to the new, right? That we are now a new creation created in Christ Jesus which for good works which God has ordained that we should walk in. Right. So, so he translates us from, the, from a dead man, in dead in our trespasses and sin, to a living man, a living way, following Christ, a new creation. That's the whole concept of baptism, right? Under the water, dead, raised above the water, now a new life. <clears throat> Moving forward in that new life, that's what he's talking about. I'm going to satisfy you. How? So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The eagle's one of the few birds that can actually stare right at the sun. You and I, we can't do that. But eagle, man, there's a lot of cool things that an eagle can do. So your youth is renewed just like that of the eagle. Just like eagle and an eagle's life is renewed so yours can be they go through a stage of of molting where they where they will shed they shed feather, claw, beak the whole deal until, that, until it's renewed and the idea is the same same concept right the passing off of the old the old man, the old me, the old stuff it just all goes away we might as well let that go right and then the moving forward in the new so in the same way that we see that occur in the life of an eagle, God is saying, I'll do that in you. Remember His benefits. The forgiveness of sin, the healing of diseases, the redemption of our life, the fact that He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies, and He satisfies our mouth with good things, so that He gives us a new life, so that our youth is renewed just like the eagle's is. And then in verse 6, he continues and goes <clears throat> from personal to general. Let's look at it. So the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, what happens when, that, when we see that phrase? What's that mean? So we're talking Yahweh, right? We're talking God's proper name. The actual name of God, Y-H-V-H, whatever you want to call it, capital L-O-R-D. It's how the English Bible translate it, <clears throat> the ASV. Translates it Jehovah, but the idea we're talking about about God's proper name. So the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So God wills to set men free under righteousness. That's God's desire. God's desire. He, He wills to set men free. He executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. For all who are oppressed. We might have to wait a little while for that justice to take place. But Judgment Day, someday, everybody has it. Nobody gets away with nothing. Ever. Everybody's going to stand before a Maker. The Maker. And He will execute righteousness. And justice for all the oppressed. We'd like to see it now, and we'd like to see it in a particular way. But what we'd like to see is not always righteousness. But God is always right, and God is always righteous. So, <clears throat> as we look from the personal to the general, we know that God is a righteous God, and that He'll execute that righteousness uh, on the oppressed. But then look at at um, verse seven and he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel how is it that we know anything about god the only way we can know anything about god is for god to reveal it to us we wouldn't have found it on our own mankind in his fallen nature the bible's pretty clear right no one seeks after god so who started the who started in the in the theme of time, with the fall of man, who made the first move? God or man? God does. How does he do it? He reveals himself. And we see this progressive revelation throughout the Bible, right? He calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. And he begins to reveal himself to Abraham. He gives several prophecies to Abraham. And he takes Abraham to a certain point, And then he, he takes Abraham's son, right? Isaac, remember? <clears throat> and he says the same things to Isaac. He said to Abraham, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and what was the third one? Now what happened at Jacob? Something happened to Jacob. So if we once we get to Jacob, we we have Jacob, we have this interesting thing happen with Jacob. Jacob has twelve sons, and one of his sons gets sold into slavery, right? You guys remember? And he ends up being where? Egypt. And he's in Egypt and and uh, so there's a famine and all of the children of Israel come to Egypt. Right? Isn't that what God told Abraham was going to happen? He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you all this land. But first, your people are going to serve as slaves for 400 years. And then I'm going to come and deliver them. So he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then who is he? He's the God of the Exodus. The one who takes a children, a nation that he grew in bondage, to deliver them out of bondage to walk with Him. Which is exactly what He does in your life, and my life, and the lives of people throughout time. So from beginning to end, we have this progressive revelation. As God comes down from heaven, we can't reach. He comes down, reveals Himself to us, and through the Word of God, we see this move of God to call men out after Him. The redemption of mankind. The Bible tells that story, A hundred different ways, at least, from Genesis through Revelation. Same thing, same thing, same thing. Without God condescending to us, we wouldn't know Him. So God reveals Himself. He gives us His Word. He calls Abraham. He calls out a nation. He is the one who, who makes that move so that we can know Him. So that we have the opportunity to see... All that he has to say. All that he wants us to know. So he made known his ways to Moses. Right? Well, Moses was happy on the backside of Midian, wasn't he? He was back there. He was married. He's going to have a family. He's taking care of sheep. Nobody's bugging him. Nobody's complaining about what a lousy leader he is. You know, he's happy. And then he passes this burning bush one day. And all that changes, right? God says, I. Moses, i want to show you who I am. I'm going to work all these mighty works through you to deliver the people. And then what did he do? The same thing for the people, right? That we're following with Moses. Doesn't God show himself over and over again to them? Revealing himself? It's the same way God works in our lives still today. Then in verse 8, the Lord, again, capital L-O-R-D, is merciful and gracious. God is merciful and gracious. And then look at this phrase. Slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Slow to anger. It's a, here's the picture. Very picturesque Hebrew phrase. He lingers long with loving pauses. Slow. He's not in a rush to get angry. He's not in a rush. You know, one of the things when we talk about the different doctrines of, uh, of the attributes of God, one of those attributes is impassibility, which, which basically means the, sh- the short answer is that God's without passion. But it doesn't mean there's not feelings with God. It just means they don't change. What do I mean? God doesn't wake up on the wrong side of bed. He doesn't wake up tomorrow and he's mad at you. You know, I've been been waiting for this guy forever, and uh, you know what? I'm angry at him. Now, one of the attributes of God is wrath, right? So if we find ourselves living in a place where we're we're happy or walking in in sin, we find ourselves naturally under the place where the wrath of God comes out. Children of disobedience awaiting the wrath of God. That's what the Bible declares for That's where we are. But if we're walking in the forgiveness of sin, we find ourselves not standing in the place of of God's wrath, but we find ourselves standing in the place of God's blessing, where His love is. It's all in our relationship to Him. God didn't move. He, I was the same. God always hated sin, right? <clears throat> that was not some new thing that happened. God always hated that. God always felt that way. So God is merciful, and He's gracious, and He's slow to anger, and abounding in mercy, abounding in mercy. He, he's, he wants <coughs> to be grace, to extend grace and mercy. But the Bible's clear. God says, I will have grace upon whom I will have grace. I have mercy upon whom I have mercy. I have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But we, we look at sections of scripture like this and we go, look, it's what it says. The Lord's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Look at verse 9, flows right into it. He will not always strive with us. Oh, listen, that means he's not going to chasten you forever. How long does he chasten? He chastens you to repentance. The same thing every father does in disciplining his children. The the discipline of my child is not so that I feel better. Oh, he made me really mad, so I beat him and now I feel a little better. You know, I got to express some of that anger. That's That's not what discipline is for. Discipline is to bring about repentance. If discipline does not bring about repentance, it wasn't discipline. So what's discipline do? Discipline makes a child say, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to do that again. And that's what the Lord does. He won't strive with us forever. We find ourselves in that place that God chastens those he loves. According to the book of Hebrews, God chastens those he loves. What's he chasing us to? Repentance. He, it's up to us, right? We, we, sometimes we have hard heads. No? No, we don't have any other hard-headed guys in here? I had a hard head. So, so I just was not paying attention. I'm, um, I'm not listening. And God just keeps getting bigger sticks. You know, first it's in little switches. They sting pretty good, you know, but there's no, no major damage. And slowly moves up to a 4 by 4 when a 4x4 four four cracks you on the back of the head, you, trust me, you're going to know. I literally had the Lord take me to a place where I had to lay on my back for a long time. I, I want i want to say months. But I'm getting old and senile, maybe it wasn't quite that long. But, He put me on my back. The only place I could look was up. Day, at 24 hours a day, flat on my back. And I remember distinctly laying in a hospital, looking up and and imagining in my mind, God looking over me saying, are you listening? Are are you listening now? I got a bigger one. That one I just hit you with, that was not the biggest one I got. What's the point to bring us to repentance? He won't, he don't strive with us forever. He doesn't strive with us forever, nor will he keep his anger forever. God doesn't bear a grudge. And God, we, you know, sometimes I used to feel in my life that, that there were so many disappointing things that I had done, so many bad things I had done in my life, that that God was mad at me. And, and I had to have enough bad things happen to kind of outweigh. You ever felt like that? Have to outweigh the the enough bad things happen to me that, I, that I'll get back on an even keel with the Lord? No, the Bible says God does not hold His anger. He's not angry. He... he he chastens to repentance, we repent, we go back to the beginning. What happens? He forgives our iniquity. He redeems us. He heals us. There's, look, God only uses knuckleheads. If you're pretty sure you're not a knucklehead, then, then probably God's not going to use you. But if you fit in the category of knucklehead, then you're perfect. Because that's a, you, Have you read this? Go ahead, find me a non-knucklehead. You're going to be hard-pressed, man, to find that. Nope. God uses imperfect people. And in each of their lives, we see the same thing happening, right? We see God's discipline bringing about repentance, forgiveness, and then God continuing to move and to use in a mighty way. Look at verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sin nor punished us according to our iniquity. What's he mean by that? Look, if God did what we deserve, none of us would be left. It would be over. One day, God is going to remove all sin and sinners. Yeah? Thankfully, for those of us who have uh, salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, we're passed over. He, he has paid that price. But I'm thankful, just like David in his old age. You know, I'm thankful that God doesn't give me what I deserve. I'm thankful that He gives me His mercy and His grace. And it should help us to be graceful and merciful toward others. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. The superabundant mercy and grace of God that can reach beyond our ability to sin. We can't sin to a point or to a place that God can't save. Now every time I say that, somebody says, well isn't there a place in the Bible that talks about unforgivable sin? Sure. And I suppose if you were a Pharisee or a, a priest standing in Jerusalem on the day when the Messiah was presented to the world, and you wanted to say, rather than this being the Son of God which has come, to deliver his people from their bondage, from their sin, and instead say it's the devil, then I think you can do it. But otherwise, uh, that's over. That's over. You want to say, well, what, what about rejecting the Lord? Okay, I'll give you that. If you reject salvation, you know, I don't know what to tell you. That That's almost as dumb as being a Pharisee saying uh, Jesus is the devil. But you always... As <clears throat> long as you're breathing, long as you're breathing, you have opportunity to come to the Lord and, and receive His abundant mercy. Look what it says in verse 12. I always love this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgression from us. <clears throat> How come He didn't say north and south? Because they touch. You go north long enough, and you go over to pole. What happens on the other side? Now what am I going? South. North and south touch. What about east and west? How long can I go east? Forever. Yeah, I go east, and I'm always going east, and I'll never be going west. So he takes our transgression, and he says, far. I remove your transgression from you. God, who cannot forget, who knows all things, even says, I forget your iniquity. I forget it. I put it out of my mind. The idea that God utterly and totally and completely moves it. And then look what he says in 13. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I, I love this verse. One of the first verses God really spoke to me at. When I read this, God, it just kind of, like a little light came out of my head and I said, I'm a dirt clod. When's the last time you were walking around and you looked down and you've seen a dirt clod on the ground and you expected a lot out of it? <laughs> dirt clod, get up. Clean yourself off. Come on, dirt clod, I need you to go do something for me. I need you to go give me a monster. Dirt clod, I'm talking to you, don't you hear me? Do you expect a lot out of dirt clods in your life? What does it say? It says, God pities us like a father pities his, chi- his child. So the father recognizes there are things that his child can't do. Right? You look over at that little child and you don't expect that little child to be able to go make a living. You don't expect that child to be able to take care of the things that you as an adult are supposed to take care of. Well, when God looks at us, the distance between father and child is so much greater It's like the distance between you and a dirt clod. And that helps me. Because the reality is, it is God who works in me. It is God who works in me, both to will and to do, for what? His good pleasure. How am I able to do anything? Through Him. How am I able to accomplish anything in my life? Through Him. Man, we got to learn that lesson because once upon a time there was this guy named Nebuchadnezzar and he had this incredible kingdom and he was this guy who he, if he said it, it happened. And one day God told him, Nebuchadnezzar was bragging about this kingdom he built. And God told Nebuchadnezzar, look, you didn't build nothing. I give it to you. And if you don't, if you can't realize that that's true, I'll prove it to you. You guys remember how he did it? He makes Nebuchadnezzar go crazy for for seven seasons. Seven years or two, it doesn't really make any difference. All the Bible tells us is his, his hair grew out like feathers. So I think that means he had a lot of hair. And he grew claws. I think that means he didn't trim his fingernails, so his fingernails got all crazy looking. And he ate grass in the front of the palace. And the whole period of time when he was crazy, nobody took his kingdom away from him. Can you imagine that today? I mean, some of you are thinking that's already happening today. (laughs) But, trust me, it can always be worse. But nobody takes it. Nobody says, you're crazy, king. Nope, nobody. God holds that kingdom with Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of the seven seasons... Nebuchadnezzar's mind returns to him, and he writes chapter 4 of the book of Daniel, uh, which will start in two weeks on Sunday mornings. Uh, He writes chapter 4 of the book of Daniel, and he says, Hey, uh, listen, you guys need to to understand there is one God under heaven, and and it's Daniel's God. It's God of Most High. And Nebuchadnezzar, a Gentile, wrote chapter 4 of Daniel. You know it because it starts with a phrase like this. I, Nebuchadnezzar. That's your dead giveaway. <laughs> so, so Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's praising, he's praising God. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar had this incredible kingdom, but who really built it? God. We run around all the time with all this national pride, like, like we, which none of us had anything to do with it, to be honest, built this incredible nation. No, we didn't. Oh yeah, it was American ingenuity. No, it wasn't. It was a hand of God and His grace and His mercy that blessed this nation. That's what made this nation great. And now you're watching this nation slowly circle in the drain. It's the craziest thing in the world to me that they indict the guy who makes the videos on Planned Parenthood and they give Planned Parenthood off scot-free. And they indict the dude for saying he wanted to buy baby parts, but they don't indict Planned Parenthood for wanting to sell them to him. What? Are you kidding me? What kind of logic is that? But that's how it is. That's how our world is. We as a nation, it's not going to be long, folks, and the in God we trust is gone. We are, we have, we are as a nation turning our back on God. So what's our responsibility? Put our heads in the sand and hide and and worry about being unfriended on Facebook? What? What should we do? What do we do? We go out and we do exactly what we're doing over at Planned Parenthood. We do exactly what we're doing on the street. We do exactly what we're doing in the store. We bear witness to the truth of who Jesus Christ is because He can still change things. Like John said, as long as I got breath, I got a chance to make a difference. If I don't got breath, then I don't have a chance. Then it's somebody else's problem. But while I'm here, it's mine. It's mine. And God is the one who ultimately, right, does all that work. We're dirt clods. All we got to do is show up. Okay, Lord, I'm here. Use me. I'm going to open my lips. You come out. Use me. That's all we got to do. All we got to do is be willing. As for man, look at verse 15. His days are like grass. So We've read that so many times in the Psalms. What does that mean? Life is short. Everybody okay with that? Life is short. Unless you're painting. If you're painting, life is eternal. Holy cow. But as soon as that painting's over, life goes back to being short again. Life is short. Like a flower of the field. So he flourishes, okay? A flower comes up and it's bright, right? But only for a time. For the wind passes over and it's gone. So you have the flowers come. I love the flowers that come out out front when we have the, that little patio out there when, when spring comes and flowers come back. For right now, everything's dead. And I, I, I enjoy when all those things come back. But I know when all those flowers come back, how long are they going to last? Yeah, it's not going to be long. And if we don't remember to water it, you know how long they last? Not very long at all. And they're gone and we have to plant more. So, flower, here today, gone tomorrow. And its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. What does that mean? God's mercy is eternal. God's mercy is eternal. One without beginning, the other without end. There's no beginning to it, there's no end of it. God's mercy is without end. For who? On those who fear him. Now we've heard that phrase 3 times. On those who fear him. On those who fear him. On those who fear him. What's that mean? That's on those whose desire it is to honor God. If you have a desire to honor God, that's called the fear of the Lord. Just like you maybe as growing up as a child had a had a desire to honor your father, was a fear of your father, or honor your mother. Same idea. Here, it's the fear of the Lord. The Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Some people say, oh, it's not fear like terror. Yes, it is. Did you not have terror of your father when your mom said, wait till your father gets home? And you just sat around thinking, oh, it's no big deal. Dad's going to come home and it'll be no big deal. That's not how it was in my house. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe it was for you, but if mom said, wait till your dad comes home, I was looking for a place to move. I went out, dad had, did not come home wanting to hear about some shenanigans I was pulling. <clears throat> Same with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is, trust me, when you meet God face to face, you're not going to have to work up the concept of fear. Fear is just going to happen. Fear is just going to happen. So, he says all these things over and over again. For those who fear the Lord, what's that mean? I choose to fear God. Yeah, if I, maybe I don't fully grasp it, and I don't understand it all, and I don't, I don't have it all nailed down, right? My theology is probably not perfect, and all that stuff, and it, it ain't all worked out in my mind, but I can tell you this. I choose to honor God, and to care about what His Word says, and that that's how it should work through my life. I want to fear God. I'm not going to fear man instead. <clears throat> and His righteousness to children's children... When does God stop making promises to us? Was it just Abraham? Was it to Abraham and Isaac? Oh, was it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then all the children of Israel? The promises of God don't end, right? The promises of God, they go from children to children. To such as keep his commandment. Remember that phrase. To such as keep his commandment. Who treasure the word of God. Do you treasure God's commandment? Do you look at God's commandment and say, I treasure His commandment. I treasure His word. That's what it means to keep. To keep. It's something that matters to you, that you hold on to, that you want to obey. And to those who remember <coughs> His commandments to do them, the Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. See that some of your Bibles have a reference to Daniel four, seventeen and 25. That's Nebuchadnezzar saying, yep, God's king. I'm nobody. God is king. He's in charge. He runs it all. He keeps it all together. And now as he's come to the end of this, rehearsing all the things that we have in a relationship with God, he goes back to the ideal. Bless the Lord, you his angels. You his angels, messengers. Bless the Lord, you his angels who excel in strength, who do his word, Heeding the voice of his word. Do the angels? The Bible gives us a glimpse every once in a while in heaven. What are the angels singing around the throne? Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They're singing, they're praising God, they're blessing the Lord with their voices. Verse 21, bless the Lord all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. That word minister could also be translated redeemed. You redeemed. You servants of God. Those who serve the Lord. Bless the Lord all his works. How many things are is that? Is there anything he didn't make? So all his works. Bless the Lord all his works. In all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Everything that is in me. David in his old life. Looking, putting together this ideal of of why he wants to praise and bless God. Why? Because he remembers all God's benefits. All the things that God had done for him and was doing through him. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We stand before you, God. We ask that you would just go before us. Father, we pray that you would (coughs) open the eyes of our understanding lord god that every day we might learn and glean a little more from you father we pray that you would be glorified in this place it's our desire to truly honor you uh, not just with our lips not just with our voices but with our lives with everything that was is within us with all our soul may we bless the lord we give you praise in jesus name amen